ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. There are some inventions that take decades to refine and then there are things that come to us fully formed, instantly perfect. It is into this latter category that I would personally place the humble potato chip. But despite this, we insist on trying out new chip flavours to the point where there is now 1,400 flavours and counting. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So how much truth is there to the phrase that once you pop, you can't stop? How have humans evolved a seemingly insatiable appetite for thinly sliced, fried, crispy potatoes? And how do food scientists make chips that taste like chicken, cheese or barbecue, whatever that is? Someone who has been snacking in the name of research is Belle Smith. Hello, Belle. Hello, Tegan. What's your favourite flavour these days? Oh, look, I do love a good salt and vinegar, but um, based on my recent crisp adventures, I would have to say roast duck is my new fave. Oh. Yeah, it's delicious. I can't begin to tell you how good it is. (laughs) What I really do want you to tell me about is how you make a piece of potato taste like a duck, but maybe we should delve into the history first of yours and my favourite food, the potato chip. So potato chips have a quite a long history. When we say chips, we mean the things you buy in a bag, right? Crisps. crisps yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And there are a few conflicting stories as to who invented the potato crisp, but generally it's thought to be this English optician called Dr. William Kitchener back in the 1800s. So like a, a glasses guy? Yeah, a glasses guy, um, monocles. I don't know what they had back then, but um, he was also an amateur chef, a bit of a celebrity chef of his time, apparently. And he published a cookbook in 1817 called The Cook's Oracle. And in it, there's a recipe for thinly sliced potatoes, fried until crisp and then served with a sprinkle of salt. So there's your basic ready salted crisp right there. It really is one of those things that you're like, you know what, that's perfect. Don't mess with it. Ye oldie Curtis Stone nailed it on the first go. <laughs> yes, the the optician Curtis Stone did really well. But um, at, look, you know, people did enjoy them as just a salted chip for a long time, like decades, until in America, barbecue burst on the scene. And around the same time, there were other kinds of flavours like cheese and onion, salt and vinegar, the kind of flavours that you'd put on a normal baked potato were really quite popular. And so from about the middle of last century until the 1990s, that was kind of what we had, right? With a few deviations here and there, but nothing too spectacular. But then analytical chemistry really took off and expanded our repertoire of flavours. And so to find out how this happened, I did some research for an article I wrote for the ABC News website. And part of that was going to the CSIRO to just see how flavour chemists really come up with those molecules that form these flavours that we just experience in the supermarket as an everyday thing. I love this because this actually is a science story. You are not a food journal, you're a science journal and you have been delving into the chemistry of chip flavours. What a job. Oh, look, so there's this little shop near us here in Melbourne in Melbourne Studios where they sell this most amazing array of crisp flavours. Everything from cucumber to craft beer. Craft beer flavoured chips. Craft beer flavoured. Two types of craft beer flavour, normal craft beer and peach craft beer, no less. And so I've been buying these 
frankly, insane flavours, right, of chips and sharing them around the office. And one of my colleagues said, you know, there's a story in this. And I was like, of course there is. There's a story <laughs> in everything. And that's really how it all started for us. So when I came and visited you in Melbourne not long ago, we tried the cucumber flavoured chip. Mm. And so A, they were kind of gross. B, there's a flavour to it, but there was also like a coolness to it, like a mm. cooling cucumber. How? How? Yeah, it's like a, like a menthol, right? And there are a few shortcuts where uh, chemists can make flavours taste like the thing they're supposed to taste like, right? So mintiness can impart that cool flavour, the mentholness. Uh, you can make something orange and you're more likely to perceive it as cheesy. A bit of smokiness will make it taste a bit like bacon or ham. But to get to the really fundamental flavours, what you have to do is get the food that you uh, want to turn into a flavour and break it down to its components. And that involves quite a bit of chemistry in the lab, but also a lot of human input, like way more than I anticipated. And so I went to the CSIRO to have a chat with a food chemist um, to see exactly how this is done. And like, just say you want to make a, for the sake of it, a steak flavoured chip. And like, that's not too crazy. There are steak flavoured chips out there, but it's not like you can put a steak in a blender (laughs) <laughs> whiz it up, dry it out, sprinkle it on some chips. Uh, you need to get the the flavour components that make it taste steaky to turn into a, a sprinkling that you can put on the chips. I think I thought with those sorts of like savoury flavoured chips that often what you were actually flavouring the chip with was not the meat, but like the mm. kind of herbs that we associate with it. But it sounds like there is individual flavour notes within an actual food and then replicating them. Exactly right. And to get those flavour notes, to find out exactly what that recipe is, you start with a bunch of people. That's the sensory panel. They're the tasters. They're the ones that will bite into, say, a steak. And instead of me saying, oh, it tastes like beef, they'll say, oh, caramel notes or burnt butter or... I'm getting a cheesy aroma because smell is a big part of flavour, what we perceive as flavour. And so what they can describe from a bite of food is way more than most of us. Their vocabulary for this thing is humongous. You know, if you tasted, I don't know, like a cake or something, you might go, oh, it's a bit citrusy, but like what citrus? Is it Mm. lemon? Is it lime? What kind of lime? That's the kind of detail that we're going to get to. And that's the first step in getting these, frankly, crazy flavours out there. So it starts with humans, not with machines. No. What do the machines do then? Well, so the machines come in next. And so what chemists do is they'll take a bit of whatever the food is, liquefy it and put it in a machine called a gas chromatography machine. Okay. And what that does is it, it vaporises the liquid. So it kind of heats it up and you get some aromatic volatiles coming off this liquid. It's kind of like if you smell a cup of coffee and you get all those volatiles coming off. And these little molecules, they travel through a a tube, a special kind of tube, and they travel at different speeds. And then they hit a detector at the end. And when they hit the detector, you get a little blip on a graph on a computer. And the taller the blip, the more of that compound is there. And so people, very smart people, have created databases showing exactly what these blips are, depending on how quickly they move through this tube. And so chemists can then go, oh, that peak is one that might be for green grass, for instance, because alongside this machine doing its thing is a person sniffing the molecules (laughs) as the machine separates them. So there's this little nozzle that kind of sticks out the side of this lab machine 
And so someone will be there sniffing away and they'll be making notes as they go and they'll be like, oh, at 15 minutes, I smell passion fruit, for instance. (laughs) And so they'll make a note and then they compare to see where they line up and perhaps where the human nose might perceive molecules that the machine can't. Oh, so what would a human nose be able to pick up that a machine couldn't? Well, our noses are really good at picking up pungent molecules, things that are put off by decaying meat. Danger signals, right? So we need to be really good at picking those up. If we're out in the wild looking for food, we don't want to be eating something that makes us sick. And so our nose will pick up pungent molecules better than a machine. And a little bit of a pungent molecule can actually make something smell and taste really good, like just a little hint, but too much and, of course, game over. Then how does that discovery make its way onto a thinly sliced piece of potato in a bag? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's kind of like you've got your ingredients, but you don't really know what proportions you need to place them in to make something taste like a steak, right? So that's where a bit of trial and error comes in, mixing up molecules. And just the ultimate test is, does it taste how it's supposed to taste? And does it taste good? Will people actually want to eat this thing? Apart from like widening the chip aisle in the supermarket, what sort of benefits are there from scientists breaking down flavours like this? Believe it or not, the CSIRO is not doing this to create steak flavour chips. What they want to do with these kinds of, I guess, flavour analyses is make foods taste like other foods, like pea protein, make it taste more like meat. So you get things like veggie burgers that might be made of soy, but it has that real meaty flavour to it. So if you can identify those components that make something meaty in the right amounts and then somehow, I guess, do something to the texture of the soy, then you can make it taste like an actual beef patty. Um, There's also work in trying to get soy milk and other non-dairy milks to taste and feel in the mouth more like milk from a cow. So there's those kinds of things as well that are happening. It's not just all about cucumber-flavoured chips, unfortunately. Where do we go from here as a species um, when we've sort of unlocked every flavour? Are there sort of, <laughs> are there kind of benefits to humanity that could come out of this research? Oh, look, there are just so many flavours out there. I literally can't imagine where we could go next. But then you come out with these kinds of flavours like cinnamon donut flavoured twisties or, <laughs> you know, you get these strange mixes and you think, really? I know it's a gimmick, but geez. <laughs> this is the highest form of science. Belle, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> Quick Smart Today was made on the lands of the Jagera and Turrbal, Gadigal and Wurundjeri people. If you like the show, please tell a friend about it. It's so important that your mates know about the scientific basis for chip flavours. So please make sure you get the word out there. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.